want to welcome everyone to our Wednesday evening service. Thank you for being here, and we also want to welcome all of those that are viewing our service online. We are glad that you're part of our service tonight. We have several announcements before Brother Ken starts his lesson. On this coming Sunday night, Lads to Leaders kickoff in the annex following our uh, Bible classes on Sunday afternoon. Uh, if you're interested in that program, be sure to, to see Aaron Foster or come to the meeting Sunday night in the annex and you will have your questions answered. Food pantry item for this week is tuna. The Golden Circle will have a luncheon this coming Tuesday at 11.30 in the Annex. This will be a catered lunch, uh, and it will also have some social distancing there. So make plans to be part of that. Uh, Ricky Acock, this is Anthony's brother, is in the Huntsville, Alabama Hospital. Uh, and he's asked that we have a special prayer for him tonight, and Brother Ken will take care of that in just a few minutes. On our, in our bulletin, pick up one of those as you leave. There are several other announcements. One thing we need to be mindful of is that Sunday night we will have two adult classes, one here in the auditorium. One will be in the annex, and we do have it fixed so that we can have speakers outside. Uh, if you go into the annex on Sunday night, you need to wear your mask, but if you'd like to sit outside under the breezeway, you can do that, or you can sit in your cars, and you'll be able to hear it. Brother Ken. Hello, everyone. Well, you know, I'm not even supposed to be here. So this is extra, no charge at all. We went to West Virginia for a gospel meeting, and because of the virus there, COVID-19, they had a big outbreak affecting a lot of places in that community. So they decided probably wouldn't have good attendance because of that, and we spent Sunday, had three services there, and you know what? I couldn't wait to get back here. I just love Boonville. It is a wonderful place. So, I look forward to our spending time together tonight in our study of God's Word. And we're beginning a new series. Yay! We're going to talk about how to develop a servant mentality. We're going to sing a couple of songs that go along with that thought. Number 693, we'll sing that. It's just a short little song, and then we'll follow that up with 694. 693, 694. Before we sing, let's go ahead and have our prayer, then we'll sing, and then we'll start our study together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have to be together, to enjoy fellowship as much as we can, and just to see one another, to know that things are well. We do also, Lord, learn of troubles that families experience and we come to you on their behalf, and tonight especially we think about Anthony Acock's brother and of the condition that he's experiencing that has resulted in him being in the hospital. So, Father, we 
We pray that you will bless him as he's receiving treatment, that it will be sufficient to bring about health for him. We also pray for Anthony, as clearly uh, he's concerned about his brother's situation, and we pray comfort for him too. And we also pray, Lord, that he'll be a strength uh, in order to give support to his brother and his family. And I pray that you'll just help him to know that we're right there with him. Lord, we pray that you will bless us tonight as we sing these songs and we try to embody the truth that's found there. And then also as we study your word together, I pray that it will be really productive for us and to help set the groundwork for our further study as we're doing our very best to develop a servant mentality. Thank you for all the blessings that you'll bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 693. Give me the heart of just any kind of servant. Make me a servant like you are a servant. God has a lot of expectations for us. I hope based on our last study, you realize that already. But now here's the thing about God's expectations. All of those little details of things that God says He wants us to do and to be. All those little details can be funneled into a general topic. The one I just tried to introduce to you. The idea of being a servant. Because necessarily, if I'm a servant of the Lord, then that means I'm going to do what it is that He is expecting me to do. And along with the idea of servanthood, closely akin to that, and many times even in the same discussion with servanthood, is the deeper expectation of God. And that is of us being a slave. 
Now, getting the mentality of being a slave, one who follows and reacts to every beck and call of his master, well, now that can be a deep psychological challenge, right? I'm a servant as long as I'm just kind of doing what the Lord asked me to do. When I understand that I'm actually his slave, or I've, I've committed myself to being a slave of the Lord, that takes this whole servant deal to a much higher level. It's not just that I'm going to pick and choose. I'm going to do what the Lord expects me to do. Not just desire it to be so. I'm going to act on it. Jesus is, Jesus is the greatest leader who ever lived. Now, there will be some people who will hear this eventually and they'll want to debate that. Well, what about this one? What about... Stop. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, is the greatest leader who ever lived. And here is the model of Jesus' leadership style. Jesus was a servant leader. We know him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What about his crown? You know the crown he wore. Well, it was a servant crown. He was serving for us. And the crown that he wore as king was a thorn crown. I look at history and a lot of times, like when you talk about leadership... Different societies or different ways of thinking had symbols. Symbolic of the leadership that you would find, say, in Rome was the sword. Symbolic of Greek leadership, well, that was more intellectual, philosophical. And so its representation was the pen. Secular society, what we see today, it's usually represented by what's called the chair, the seat of knowledge. In fact, in many colleges, universities, what do you have? So-and-so is the chair of this or that department. It's representative of the leadership. For the Christian, what represents our leadership style as we are following after the greatest leader who ever lived, the servant leader, Jesus Christ. Christian leadership is represented by the symbol of, well, a towel and a basin, a bowl of water. God has great expectations of us. But those expectations revolve around servanthood. What I want to do tonight is just simply introduce the idea of servanthood. I want us to look at the problem that exists. And when I mention it to you, you will already identify. And I hope you'll say, yeah, that's, that's right. I want to look at a paradox that exists in Scripture that represents for us exactly the course of servanthood as God expects it. 
And then finally, I just want to look at the practice of it, and we'll see an example of Jesus being the servant leader. Okay, what is the problem, Ken? Well, here's the problem with servants today. And maybe you've heard this. I've heard it all my life. And by virtue of the fact that I've heard it all my life, and it hasn't changed, I'm thinking we've got a problem. I've heard, as long as I could hear it, about activity in the church, the work done in the church. I hear it from the pulpits. I hear it in seminars. I don't know whoever developed this, whether it is actually true or not. But here's the thing. I never hear anybody rebuff the speaker for saying it. And that is 10% of the people do 90% of the work. I never heard anybody come back and say, that is crazy. I think it's more like 1288. Nothing like that. Or they say, no, Ken, it's, it's basically 50-50. No, you know what? Most people are like, yeah, that's about right. Because when something is done in the church, we have a sign-up. We look for volunteers. You know what usually happens? Usually. It's always the same people. Always the same people signing up for the things that need to be done. And when you really look at what they're doing, you realize that, well, most of what's happening is being done by the same, I don't know, is it? It's probably close. Same 10% of people doing all that stuff. It seems to me that if that's true, and it probably is or something close to it, that what we have in the church is an identity problem. Identity. Here's the original sense of identity for the church. It's servanthood. Be a servant. Not just some of you be servants, all of you be servants. We serve one another is the idea. The identity problem that exists then is, since I don't identify with servant, tend to identify with just me, myself. I invented a word. I'm calling it me-ism. I don't know if you can find that in the dictionary or not. Maybe you can. I think 10% of the people read 90% of the books find that out there. I just made that up. But me-ism, it's all about me. Now, that's really true today. Now that you're able to videotape yourself, I go around places, and, and not, not as a survey trip or anything, I'm just talking about, I just happen to be somewhere and I see somebody, they're walking along on the sidewalk, they've got their phone up. And a lot of those are young people who are doing what is a, a TikTok video. They're going to video something that they think is sensational with the hope that a lot of other people are going to see that and they'll be famous. Okay, once in a while, you will hear about somebody who has gotten a million hits, and then they'll end up on a network television program and be interviewed. And it's like, wow, well, my video was better than them, so I'm going to, you know, we're all going to be famous. Just that desire to be famous. Well, what is that? It's all about, it's all about me, my recognition. And once a person gets a taste of that, it's, it just kind of fuels, right? It just is like, I can't get enough of that. 
We have celebrities who are celebrities for no other reason than that they are just celebrities. <laughs> they, they don't seem to have any particular talent or any usefulness to society because they have great ideas. They're just famous for being famous. Me-ism. Servanthood removes the me part of it and seeks to be a part of a, a larger something. In our case, a, a part of the church, a, a, a functioning body made up of individuals, and we would be one of the members of that body. There was a, a general by the name of John Galvin. John Galvin was actually the, at least for a time, the supreme commander of the Allied forces in Europe. Someone interviewing him asked him one time, what, what is it like to be a commander over those kinds of forces? Because you, you are really the commander of some of the greatest, most powerful figures in the whole world. You know, what in the world is that like to direct people in these huge groups? And he said, well, it's kind of like... Oh, I know. It's like the director of a cemetery. You have a lot of people under you, but none of them listen. I thought, okay, cemetery, a general. Yeah, even though he had all these forces, he felt like he's getting no recognition. It's like they're dead in the ground. If I'm going to be a part of something then there needs to be a blending together of those abilities and those resources. But not to the extent that I become greater than the work that I'm a part of. Here's an interesting thing that the Apostle Paul said, and it wasn't just about himself. I could see him saying this about himself anyway. In fact, there are several passages that came to mind as I was thinking about it, and you'll probably think of a few of those, but... The one I'm thinking about is the statement connected with our subject from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul speaking not only of himself, but also of his co-workers. And he says that we are bondservants for the sake of Christ. Now, I love that. I'm serving in a worthwhile activity. But let me tell you something about myself, he says. We are bond servants. That is, we are bound to the one. The one that we're bound to is Jesus. And the reason that we're doing the things that we do is on his behalf. That's the idea of doing something for the sake of. It is on the behalf of Jesus being bound to him that I do the things that I do along with this contingent of people. Now, what was his circumstance? Well, he's preaching the gospel to the whole world. You know, he's got a job to do, a mission. But he says, it isn't for me. It's for Jesus. I do what I do along with other people. All of us join together in service for Jesus, for his sake. Here's the idea. If Jesus were here, he'd be doing this. But since Jesus isn't physically here, what he is expecting is that I do it for him. Now think about that. Jesus could do a lot, right? Yes? 
nod your head this way. I read the scriptures. I see him everywhere doing all kinds of stuff. But what if I could multiply Jesus by a million people? Would we be able to get a lot done then? Absolutely. Well, that's the idea here. We are bondservants for Christ's sake. Jesus isn't here, but He gave us, He told us exactly what He wanted us to do. And so what we're doing is we're carrying on with that. Me and those who are with me. But also, by extension, if I'm going to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ for His sake, then I'm going to be doing the same thing. I'm going to be in the place of Jesus, striving as much as I can to do the work for Jesus. Another thing that I'm thinking, especially about leadership within the servant community that we are, is that there are some terms that that always come to mind. One would be the word shepherd. You know, in the body of Jesus Christ, part of the problem that exists in many places is that the church isn't run by shepherds. It's more like it's run by CEOs over a company. So that their idea is the bottom line. And usually the bottom line would be whether we're meeting the budget or not. Or whether we're having X number of this or that. It's a numbers game. What the Bible calls for are not CEOs watching numbers, but shepherds. People who are concerned about the actual members of that congregation, the flock. That's an important distinction. Also, I notice that we are supposed to be, our term, servants. And not, say, a part of the employee class. And what I mean by that is, a servant is there to serve the one that he is connected with. An employee, an employee may just be bumping from one company to another. You know, just kind of doing what is absolutely necessary in order to get a paycheck. Again, an important distinction. I'm not in this just for what's to my benefit. I'm in this as a servant. I'm thinking other word, not just about what benefits me most. And then I'm also thinking that within the church, we are looking for leaders rather than managers. Here's what a manager does. A manager says, you do this, you do that. I'm managing the work. So I'm using my workforce. I'm telling you what to do. What a leader does is a leader gets out there and says, follow me. Do what I'm doing. Follow my example. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, that scripture says to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Be a shepherd, be a servant, be a leader. That would be true generally of our leaders, but now make extensions like the Bible does. The Bible is always talking about, I'm going to do this to empower you to do it. So it's not like there's a this 
is this responsibility and we're going to keep him there and this one they do that. But the idea is that as a body, we're all growing together. So while, you know what, you, you may specialize according to the abilities that you have, but again, the greater sense of it is we are all in this together. So that's the problem. Don't just let a few people do the majority of the work. All of us need to be contributing together. That is something important we'll be talking about in our series of lessons. And then I want to talk about what is, well, the example of our service, but it's actually a paradox. Now, a paradox is when you have, have something that seems contradictory, but actually it's the truth. It seems contradictory, but in reality it's the truth. Okay, here's a pretty common paradox. You have to spend money to make money. I know that's true in the business world, right? If you're going to have a business, you've got to spend the money, lay out the money, and then when you lay out the money, you spend it. But you spent that money in order to make it. Now, I've heard that twisted some. I've experienced it being twisted. For instance, um, I'll not mention any names, but someone will say, Oh, I went to a sale today. You did? Yeah, 30% off. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, I know how to save 100%. Right? But no, no. You got to, see, this is twisted. You got to spend money to save money. So spend the money, amen? Spend the money in order to save the 30% or whatnot. But that, that's a paradox. It, it, it's taking something that seems contradictory, it seems like that's not right, but it's actually the truth. Okay, now here's, here is the servant paradox. If you want to get to the top, you have to first go to the bottom. That is the servant paradox. I'll tell you, it may be that you have all kinds of talent, and you may have a lot of talent. If you have a lot of talent and a lot of ability, it, it's, it's difficult, probably, to be the servant that you ought to be. You say, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, it is that you become so good at everything, and you're able to produce that, you know, people recognize that about you, and what do they do? They start you know, slapping you on your back and telling you how valuable you are and before you're too long, what happens? Then we kind of get the big head about it or we develop an ego that needs to be constantly fed and then before you know it, if you're not getting enough, you see how servant becomes me? Started out great. I've got all these talents. Put me to use. But we put people to use and maybe it's our fault many times. We just, we tell them constantly, you're this and you're that, but that can ruin our servant mentality. I'm trying to lift them up, but if they're a servant, what are they trying to do? They're trying to, you know, trying to push that back. There's a, man, there's a, I want to say it's a great example of this. I'll say better, it's just an example of this. It's found in the book of Mark chapter 10. Now at verse 37 here is the heart of the matter. 
It's James and John. Stop right there. Who's James and John? James and John aren't just disciples of Jesus Christ. These guys were a part of the inner circle, the top three, we would say. And see how we do that? Why don't we just say the 12 and don't segregate them? But we, I've read these studies where they take, take the disciples and break them down into different peers. Here's the, here's the three that are the most close to Jesus, then break it down all the way down to the bottom as though the least of them is unworthy. That's not how Jesus saw it, but we do that way. You know, we apply those kinds of things. But okay, now back to that where I just messed myself up, right? I got James and John, and I said they're, they're part of that great three. Peter, James, and John, they're always with Jesus. Some of the most monumental events, there they are. Well, here are James and John, and they're starting to think. Yeah, it's true. We are with Jesus a lot, and wouldn't it make sense, and let's just kind of go ahead and get the jump on Peter, wouldn't it make sense, Lord, that you grant to us that we sit, one of us on your right hand and the other on the left, in your glory. What a great idea! Oops. That wasn't what Jesus was looking for. Jesus is looking for servants. In fact, when I think of Jesus and his attention to the hierarchy among individuals in his care, he might say something like he did in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus says, well, he who exalts himself will be humbled, he who humbles himself will be exalted. There it is. That's the plan. That's, That's the economy of God with regard to servanthood. The paradox. You want to be great? Be small. You want to be the leader? Then fall in line. You know, you submit yourself as the servant. Here in this text, Jesus in verses 43, 44, and 45 of Mark 10, He says, whoa, now, whoever desires to be great, is that what you desire, James and John? Anybody who desires to be great, let him be your servant. Whoever wants to be first, you want to be first? You guys want to see my right hand and left hand? You be the slave. And here's the reason why, verse 45. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. Now stop and just stew on that for a minute. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus worthy to be served? Nod your head this way. Son of God. Son instrument of creation, eternal. We worship Him. Is He worthy of being first? Yes. Is He worthy of being the greatest? Yes. I ask you, is Jesus first and the greatest? Yes, He is. He is the first and the last. I mean, He is all in all. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So what are you saying to me, James and John? Are are you saying you should be given more honor and glory than me? Oops. (laughs) Oops. The paradox is the key to all service. I'm not in this 
to get my back slapped. Not in it for the notoriety. Not in it to have her name spoken. In it to bring glory and honor to the Lord. In it because I'm a bondservant for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then, there's the practice. Who better to demonstrate the practice of service, servanthood, what a servant mentality is all about, than the servant leader himself, Jesus. And he does that in an interaction with his disciples in the book of John, chapter 13. And what's interesting about that is that he has been having problems with his disciples. We already saw that thing with James and John. In Mark chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I see what's happening. As we're traveling along, these guys, they're talking to themselves, and what they're trying to determine is, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Seriously, you are in a caravan, an entourage with the Son of God, and you're debating who's the greatest. You're debating who's the greatest in the midst of the greatest servant who ever lived. What in the world are you thinking? Well, I'll tell you what they're thinking. They're just thinking like humans think. You know, am I better than so-and-so? What do I need to do to get to first place? How can I be the number one? Jesus ended that debate by taking up a towel and a water basin. Now I want to stop for a second and think, who who is this servant leader? He's the king. Lord of lords, king of kings. We already saw that. He was appointed by God. Psalm 2, verse 6. He died on the cross, humiliated, but glorified by God. He emptied himself of the glories of heaven, put himself at the disposal of the Father, having emptied himself so much that he died on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, describes that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the King. Jesus emptied himself the glory of heaven to come and die for us. And then as a result of that humiliation and emptying himself and the resolve to save man, God highly exalted him back to a position of unimaginable glory. That's the King. But this King now... This king now has become the servant. In verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 13, here's what we find, that Jesus 
disrobes himself, takes up the towel, girds himself with that, takes the basin, pours the water in it, and he goes about washing the feet of the disciples and wiping their feet with the towel that he had girded himself with. A servant. It's kind of interesting parallel. It's way over in the Old Testament scriptures. 1 Samuel 25, just at verse 41. It's in the midst of that story about Abigail, David and Abigail. Remember David, boy, he was going to kill her husband Nabal. He ends up having basically what most scholars think was a stroke. And then she tries to make things better so that David doesn't destroy everything that is Nabal's. But here in this text, she had so endeared herself to David that David is overwhelmed and infatuated with her and her husband has died. He wants to marry her. But here's what she thinks of herself. She says, I'm, I'm just a maid servant. But here's what I want to be for you. A servant who washes the feet of the servants of my Lord. Wow. Now, if that isn't a theme for Christians today, I don't know what is. That statement right there is exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. Why do I serve in the first place? I serve for Jesus' sake. I want to be a servant who washes the feet of the servants of my Lord. Now, who are the servants of my Lord in my application? Well, it's all of you. So as a child of God, as a servant of my Lord, for his sake, what I'm thinking is, I'm going to serve all of you. But now don't look at me like I did something great, because as I'm looking at you, you know what I see? I see servants who are making the same commitment. And look all around you. Here are servants of my Lord. And you're going to serve them. I, I think that's what you're going to do. Yes, no, maybe. Nodria, this way, this way, something. That's the commitment she was making. That was the commitment that Paul and his entourage were making. That's the commitment that God's expecting all of us all of us to make. Jesus, when he wrapped himself with that towel and went around with that basin, sure, he washed the feet of Peter, James, and John, but you know who else was there? Judas. I'm going to wash the feet of Judas Iscariot. The king going to wash the feet of the one he knows. In fact, this text tells us that Satan had already entered the idea into Judas's heart. Judas is sitting there as Jesus is washing his feet, thinking, you know what, here in just a little bit, I'm going to get out of this room and I'm going to sell you. But Jesus, the servant leader, 
went ahead and washed his feet anyway. Whose feet would you not wash? Not literally. You say, so-and-so, they got the stinkiest feet. I'm not talking about really literally washing feet. You can if you want to. But I'm talking about serving one another. The idea of washing feet is about as low as a person would go. How low would you go for somebody? Servants thinking, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all the way. If you become a servant, it's going to start with your character. I mean, what you are. And maybe there's some things we have to thrash out a little bit. But what we're going to discuss in our series is where we need to be headed anyway. And as a servant, it isn't that I just desire it to be so. My commitment to God is I'm going to do this. Because when it comes to activities in the church, service is not a labor problem. It isn't that I just can't get people to sign up. That is not the problem. It isn't the problem. Service is not a labor problem. Service in the church is a heart problem. So, wow, the secret's out. Through our series, we're going to be working on our hearts. We're going to close with a prayer. And then after that, parents go and pick your kids up. And then, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds later, if you will, you may be dismissed. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to assemble in freedom. We, we hate the circumstances that we're in with the virus, but we thank you, Father, that there are accommodations that can be made and that we feel safe and still able to be together as a body. That's a precious thing. We thank you, Father, for the ability that we have to serve you and that you will accept our service in your name. We pray that we'll be worthy of the name that we wear. Help us, Lord, to look at our hearts and recognize what needs to be fixed and adjusted and help us to be pure in our hearts as we're serving you. Help us to learn the lessons of your son through the course of our study that we can be more and more like Jesus and to live our life as a reflection or or even an embodiment of him in the world that we're living in today. Thank you for the blessing of your word that makes that possible. And be patient with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.